Welcome back to another episode of In the Fire. We hope you guys are doing well. Whenever you may be listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it might be. Um, we're happy that you're here. Um, let me bring in our co-host, Justin Thomas. Welcome. How are you guys doing? Who is happy, Justin happy, Thomas? Happy. <laughs> is, is Justin Thomas the PGA Tour golfer here? <laughs> we have a special guest. <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm doing good this morning. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Same here. It's a beautiful morning. I hope wherever you're listening to this and whatever time it is, it's beautiful there as well. If it is at one thirty in the morning and you're getting a little light in the fire action. <laughs> if you're listening to us to put you to sleep. <laughs> what a good thing to listen to. <laughs> I listen to podcasts to put myself to sleep. Yeah. But hopefully you guys are a little more attentive to ours. <laughs> Too exciting to put people to sleep. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, In fact, it would wake them up. This would be a good exactly. alarm clock, I think. <laughs> I can't think of anything better. Neither can I. If I hear that little jingle every time I wake up, I would be oh, happy. yes. You know it's about to come. <laughs> That's true. Well, if this this doesn't light a little fire underneath you, this In the Fire podcast, I don't know what will. And with that being said, we're going to get this flame going here this morning. Uh, the topic of this week's episode is the Lord's timing and how we can trust in the Lord's timing versus how we cannot trust in the Lord's timing and the consequences that that brings. Um, so we're going to look at two really good, at least I think they're really good, Old Testament examples that sort of contrast the beauty of growing closer to God amid patience against the tragedy of hardening our hearts against God amid impatience. Um, so the latter of those two, uh, we're going to look at Saul, King Saul, uh, who was king of Israel for um, the time being before David became the king of Israel. Uh, and he is the example that I've chosen to look at here of a man who drew further from God amid his waiting. Um, so, yeah, you guys ready to get into it? Let's Pumped. do it. And uh, First Samuel, I think I think I've decided First Samuel is my favorite of the Bible. So I'm excited to read this again. Wow. Oh, sweet. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the input that you have for this book. <laughs> Because I have not read it all. <laughs> I've, read the, I've read the verses we're looking at today. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel 15. Um, this is really when we can get really gauge the state of Saul's heart. Um, he's not the most admirable or role model king to look up to. We're going to look at why. Um, and it really comes down to his heart. So First Samuel 15 really sets the stage. I'm going to read uh, a few verses that are scattered throughout the book um, or scattered throughout the chapter. We're going to start in verse 1 through 3, then I'm going to read 7 through 11, and then verse 22. Um, so First Samuel 15, 1 through 3. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. 
Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Skipping ahead to verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with his sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that, everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Saul. I regret that I have made Saul king, or came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And then to verse 22. But Samuel replied, talking to Saul, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? And just as a little context in the verses that I skipped over, uh, Saul used those animals that he kept as offerings and sacrifices. So Samuel replies, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Um, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes, a big dun, dun, dun there. Um, so we see here in these verses signs that Saul does not fully trust the Lord. Um, he believes he can do better things with the victory over the Amalekites than what the Lord instructs him to do with it. Namely, uh, not killing everybody. He takes the king, Agag. And he also keeps several of the animals alive. Um, so again, he does not fully heed the instructions of the Lord, um, thinking that he can do better with the spoils of the victory than what the Lord instructs. And then, still not admitting his faults. Um, actually, I think, yeah. Saul makes excuses to help justify his disobedience and how he favored his own discernment rather than that of the Lord's. Um, which verses we did not read there, but that sort of explains... When Saul was talking to Samuel, he sort of makes some excuses uh, as to why he did not fully obey the Lord. Um, and in doing so, he kind of shoves the blame on other people rather than taking the blame himself. Um, so David Guzik, who we look a lot at um, in, their, in a study Bible that we look at, we get a lot of our insight from him. He calls this selective, incomplete obedience. Um, so that really is a sign where his heart is at um what are you guys initial thoughts on this chapter uh, initially i think you chose really like the perfect chapter perfect little story here to illustrate saul's overall obedience it's a it's a pattern throughout the book of first samuel um i think this is a pretty good glimpse of why saul is a failure as king um he's very disobedient he's impatient he's proud he's stubborn and you know his fall from grace really is is pretty dramatic and that's one reason i really like this book I enjoy reading the the story behind it and reading about saul so i think he chose a really good example here um you know saul being given a command and kind of following it but thinking that his perception of what god told him samuel is better than what god actually told him and that's the real issue we're getting at here. Yeah, definitely is. 
Thomas? Uh, yeah. I, I think you chose the, the perfect verses, you know, out of this whole thing. We could have read it all, but, like, you chose the most important yeah, ones specific that we would have been too. talking about anyways. Um, and I, I think it, it's all summed up perfectly in 22. Like, has the Lord... Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of ramps. It's like you wouldn't need to sacrifice if you just obeyed, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's it's not it's it is just obeying God that is what He's seeking. You know, He wants us to follow Him. And when we don't follow him, and when we seek after being the God of our own lives, we are disobeying God, and we got to come back. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think, you know, that's, that's exactly right, Tom. It's in verses 22 and 23 really get to the issue, you know. And he, I've heard people say this, and when you read the Bible, it's more and more clear at certain points, but this is one when it's a lot like God has greater concern for the hearts of like his people for the heart of what we do rather than things like, you know, ceremonial practices, like Saul saying, it's okay that he spared these animals because he sacrificed them. Okay. Well, great. That's what Samuel says. Who cares about that? If your heart is in the completely wrong place when you're doing it. Um, and that's the point here. Uh, Saul didn't follow all these instructions because he thought he had a better way of doing it. Uh, even if sacrifice, and especially back then, sacrifices were the key way they had to cleansing themselves of the sin. And, uh, so Saul is essentially like, well, I sacrificed them, so good on me. And Samuel's <laughs> correct him here. And I do really like uh, a couple of times in this chapter, Samuel really wrote Saul. One of them is in verse 23, of course, uh, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. So that's a pretty bad one. I also enjoy uh, a lot verses 13 and 14 when Samuel comes back with the herd of animals um, and Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord performing the commandment of the Lord. And verse 14, Samuel goes, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? <laughs> I can just imagine him being a little sassy when he's saying that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, Saul probably said that. Um, I mean, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. He probably tried to say that with some sort of conviction, hoping yeah. that Samuel would agree. But then Samuel makes that <laughs> sassy but very true remark. Um, <laughs> what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? Right <laughs> <here>? <laughs> yeah, and so, um, so Saul is someone who God appointed, anointed to be king of Israel. Um, and Samuel is sort of like the intermediary who sort of um, listens to God and then tells Saul throughout many of these verses here what the Lord is thinking. And it's really sad how it changes from, you know, God choosing Saul as the anointed king to now regretting that he has chosen Saul, which I think is interesting and kind of sad. It is. Yeah. And actually, I have a note. I looked into that because I've read this book a few times. Um, and that is one thing that always fascinates me is, um, 
verse 11, when God says, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. So the phrase of the question, like, how can God regret something if he knew that it was going to happen? Mm. Um, and I think that points to two things. One is like, how great does his disappointment really have to be to regret something? Bible, he regrets something is in Genesis 6, when after the fall of Adam and Eve, where it says God regrets uh, making man that they have fallen like this. And I, I did some research on it. And it's not that like, he regrets that it that he did it because he did it for a reason and all of it happened for a reason. It's just the fact that God kind of in his infinite uh, we'll look at Saul. He made Saul king, he, and he did it at the demands of the people of Israel, and he did not want to. This was not like God said, I want to make get Israel a king, uh, because really he is Israel's king. But the people of Israel earlier in the book of 1 Samuel demand a king from it. He says, okay, here you go, and I'll give you Saul. Um, and so I think it's more just profound sorrow that he's feeling for his people this regret that he's feeling and it should he does have an emotion the footnotes this one it's talking about his regret in theology this is called here we go god's anthropopathic state where he actually chose human emotion and you see that written down and recorded in the bible occasionally uh, and just his emotions are so much richer fuller deeper than ours this, I think, more than just his pure regret, is pointing to sorrow. It's a sorrow that his people have asked for this king, and now they're seeing the effects of it. Yeah, well put. Yeah, that's really good. Really good insight there. I sort of, yeah, I see it as, like, God, he knows it's going to happen. Like, he's sovereign overall. He chooses this to happen. But, you know, when you see this sorrow that he regrets his decision, I see it as, like, he knows it's going to happen, but when it actually happens, like he just feels for it. Like he so sad. It just hits him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's not easy for him to bear. It's like our parents. <laughs> you're a parent who disciplines your child. You're probably going to feel bad about it, but you're doing it for a reason, right? Um, and all this happening for a reason because the next thing is going to be that much better. Right. Exactly. And so if you guys are thinking, the, you listeners are thinking, how does this relate to Lord's, the Lord's timing? Because we've not exactly gotten there yet. We're going to get there now. <laughs> um, so we're going to fast forward uh, about 20-ish, 25 years, uh, and look at chapter 28. Um, Justin, do you want to read verses 18 through 20 of that chapter? I will. Let me get over there. First... 28 verses 18. All right. So this is Sam talking to Saul. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, the Amalekites, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. 
There we go. So another heavy few verses there. Um, so again, this is you know a couple of decades later, but Samuel is and the Lord are bringing up his disobedience again back at Am- Amalek in the battle with the Amalekites. Um, and so essentially in these verses here, Samuel is saying that in the battle that will happen the next day with the Philistines, um, the Isra- Israelites will lose and Saul and his children will be killed. Um, and so you see at the end here, the last verse that he read there, Justin, uh, Saul is, he falls on the ground and is dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. There is no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day or all night. Um, so yeah, that's sort of a prophecy there. Um, and remember, this happens 25 years after Samuel's prophecy um, that another of Saul, that another king would replace Saul, as we mentioned here, after the battle of the Amalekites. Um, the Lord says that um, essentially a king will replace Saul. Uh, but it has not happened yet 25 years later. And here, Samuel is bringing another prophecy that the next day he's going to die in battle. Um, And so that leads us to, uh, um, actually, before we get into that, do you guys have anything to say on that? Yeah, I was going to interject real quick with a little context here. So at this point in 1 Samuel, in chapter 28, Samuel is dead and he is with God. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. He says in verse... 19, well, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. That I mean, Samuel's dead, so obviously they're going to be with him. There's only one place they can be. <laughs> yeah. um, but before this, how, how it actually happens where Samuel is dead and communes with Saul here. Saul gets a little nervous about the situation. The Philistines are kind of knocking on the doorstep, and Saul decides to... Uh, go and consult a media, which is like a um, sorcerer, sorceress kind of thing, I guess. Uh, and so he finds this woman who's a medium who is able to bring up people dead so people can talk to him, which is pretty forbidden, as it would be. Uh, then in Israel, God has not allowed that because why go and talk to someone who is going to bring people back from the dead like that? Uh, so he does that, and she brings back Samuel, and that's when Samuel talks to him. So it's it's kind of a weird, interesting part, but another example of Saul's kind of impatience that he's going to go and find a sorceress to bring back Samuel so he can talk to him. It's a weird move on his part, and an impatient move, and uh, just a wrong step, one wrong step in a long line of bad steps. Well, I mean, he doesn't that's how, that's even. That's how Samuel talks to him from the dead. Mm, yeah, he doesn't even go to the Lord. Instead, right. he turns to mm-hmm. like the mystic arts. Yep. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's go to the Lord. Yeah. Go, yeah. He goes to the dead. <laughs> yeah, wild. he's impatient. Yeah, he's impatient, and he just ignores the Lord. And then even, and then he's obviously told he's going to die from this sorcerer, or from Samuel through the sorcerer and he obviously is distraught by this and even then he doesn't plead to the lord or ask the lord for strength or anything like that he turns weak 
There is no mention yeah. of him talking to the Lord there. And we're also going to see that in chapter 31, where this battle of the Philistines takes place. We're going to see what happens here um, and how sort of Saul deals with these prophecies that Samuel has given. Uh, so, Thomas, do you want to read verses 1 through 7? Yes. Chapter 31. I would love to. All right. All right. Now, the Philistines were fighting Israel. And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malachi Shua, sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and as Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. There we have it. So, my Bible says that, you know, the, um, the heading of these verses here is the tragic end of Saul and his sons, and I think it is very tragic. Um, you know, again, one of the biggest things I found here is um there's again no mention of the lord here um saul sees that his children have died he's very wounded um by the philistines and he doesn't he doesn't call out to the lord um doesn't say anything to him um and and yeah as a result you know he just um he dies, doesn't let the Philistines get to him, dies before then. He's very wounded, so he just falls on his sword. Um, and, you know, in, in doing so, he really fails to prepare his heart to meet the Lord. Um, I think, you know, is, is in this tragic ending, you know, um, we can see it sort of has led up to this point where there's just more and more and more separation between him and God from the time you know, when he's king to the Amalekite battle, um, when he disobeys the Lord's instructions and then sort of shoves the blame on other people for doing that. And then in his death, um, where he doesn't even mention mention the Lord or call out to him in his death, uh, he's just being more and more separated from God uh, to the point where he doesn't even speak to the Lord. Um, so I have a feeling that you know, he sort of disregards Samuel's prophecies, doesn't see that 25 years later he's still king, so he sees... So he sort of disregards that prophecy and then sort of disregards the prophecy that he's going to die the next day. Um, and when I mean disregard, I mean he doesn't really prepare himself to meet the Lord. Um, stubbornly sort of ignores it until it happens and then he dies on his sword. So a tragic ending there for King Saul. Yeah, yeah. it is, um, you know, making it more tragic, I think. Um, and it's what Samuel said also in, in chapter 28, that not only is Saul going to die, but his sons are going to die, which means Jonathan 
Saul's son, David's best friend, dies here as well, really because of the sin of Saul and the poor decision-making and taking things into his own hands and all of that Saul, um, that Saul does. And so I, I think that's just sad. I like Jonathan a lot in the Bible. Yeah, he's a great, um, great guy. Yeah, he's, he's wonderful. And he's going to die here kind of sadly, kind of suddenly and without much uh, recognition until David gives it to him in second Samuel. Um, so that's sad. And then also I found a quote on this, you know, to your point, Peter, that Saul failed to prepare his heart to meet God, even after he was told he would die. Um, This quote from a commentary, I would say, is a very solemn thought. No career could begin with fairer, brighter prospects than Saul had, and none could be in more absolute midnight of despair. And yet such a fate may befall us unless we pray and walk humbly with our God. Um, And that's true. Saul, at the beginning of his career, I mean, first king of Israel, big, strong guy, very handsome, very, you know, kingly in his outward appearance, as the Bible tells us. Um, Soon we see in sharp contrast, David is the exact opposite, but in heart is also the exact opposite. Um, So, I mean, Saul had it all. You know, he was powerful. He was a great leader. He was, everyone listened to him, you know, big, good looking guy and, uh, first king over this nation and it all falls apart for him and that's you know of his own undoing yeah for sure yeah so it is a tragedy it is and to explain this even a little more um i have another quote from david guzik uh about this more with the Philistines here. He says, the events of this chapter happened some 20 years after Saul first heard the announcement of judgment against him from the prophet Samuel. Perhaps Saul thought that time was on his side because God's announced judgment did not happen immediately, but time was against him because in the 20 years since, his heart became more hard against God. At the end of his life, Saul had become so hardened in sin that he did not want to repent. Many people put off getting right with God until a later time, assuming they will still want to get right with God then. That is a dangerous, dangerous assumption because repentance is a gift from God. If it is here today, it should be received today. Um, So very candid thoughts there from Guzik. I think that sort of gets to the heart of um, the Lord's timing um, and how Saul sort of took the wrong approach here um, and did not really trust in the Lord and the prophecies that he had did not accept the repentance or call out from God, did not prepare his heart for what was going to happen. Uh, and instead, and during all this time, he grew separated from God instead of growing closer to him with more faith. Um, so again, the tragedy it is. Yes. I mean, it's, it's wild that he decided to like kill himself at the end, you know, mm-hmm. instead of like, trusting in God. It's like, oh, these uncircumcised men, they will kill me, so I must kill myself first. Um, it's kind of, it, it can be seen as an act of heroism, but it's just uh, an act of futility because it <laughs> didn't really accomplish anything. Yeah. So, Cowardice yeah. and, you know, yeah. He's just, at the end of his life, he's still taking matters into his own hands. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Quite literally. Um, 
so yeah, there's the sort of unfortunate, um, tough tragedy there, tough story of a man who hardened his heart against God amid his impatience and lack of trust in God. Um, and in contrast, now we're going to look at a more positive example about a man who draws closer to God amid his waiting. Um, and we're going to look at good old Noah and Noah and the ark. Um, Justin, you mentioned that the only other time that the Lord says he regrets doing something is in Genesis 6, when he says he is sorry that he ever made uh, all these humans who become totally evil. Um, so that's where we're going to start. Noah is not one of those people. Noah found favor with the Lord and keeps that favor with the Lord because he has um, a humbled, obedient heart for God. Um, so we're going to turn to Genesis 6 now. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 11 through 14, 17 and 18, and 22 from Genesis 6. All right, verses 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and, decks and stalls throughout its interior. And then verses 17 through 18. Look, I am about to cover the earth, the Lord says, with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And then verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Um, which is in contrast to our man Saul here, who yep. does not obey everything that the Lord tells him to do. <laughs> um, so that's really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Noah follows through there. Um, yeah, do you guys have any thoughts on those verses other than that? Yes, I think I do. <laughs> um, I like that God decided not to eradicate all human life, but just the the one he he saved Noah, right? And he saved Noah's family, and I like that. And he chose Noah's family because they he would obey him. You know, um, he like Noah's like the last righteous man and like the last righteous family on the earth. And he's like, if there's one family that's going to obey me, it's him. And so I'm going to choose him to make my ark. You know? Yeah. So. And that's a good point to bring up. He does choose. He doesn't destroy every living thing. Almost does. But <laughs> the only humans he saves are Noah's family. So you would think that, you know, he has this plan for restoring humanity back to good. You know, if he just thought everything was hopeless, he could have just destroyed all humanity. Then, bam, that would be the end of things. But no, there's a plan um, that you see through this. And here the Lord vows that we see in verse 18, that he will confirm my covenant, that I will confirm my covenant with you. So the Lord says to Noah. Um, so Noah sort of trusts that there will be a plan for restoration. Um which I think is a very good thing to note, as you mentioned, Thomas. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, to that point, uh, you read verses 17 and 18 again, you see like this really cool, really interesting dichotomy of like verse 17 where he's saying everything that is on the earth shall die. He's pronouncing this really great judgment on the whole earth. But then verse 18, that establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall go into the ark with your family and, and they'll survive. So it's this really deep contrast of God's, you know, powerful judgment against the wicked with powerful grace on those who, you know, are following him like Noah is. So I think that's just in two verses, it sums up a lot right there. And, you know, people look at the story of the flood and say, how can a God who's so good, you know, destroy the whole world? Well, on the flip side, he is good enough where he saved his remnant of humanity who had completely fallen and he's going to restore humanity in the long run through that. Mm. Yeah. I like the yeah. word, word and use of covenant here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He made a promise. He's like, it will happen. <laughs> I think I saw somewhere, what... this is the first time that word is used in the Bible. It's maybe implied earlier. This is the first like real covenant thing we see. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, um, and we'll see. You know, another covenant. We'll see the, the uh, covenant explained later in the outcome of Noah's Ark here in a second. Um, but yeah, Justin, as you were mentioning earlier in Genesis, um, the Lord even says that He saw that everything they thought or imagined, speaking of humanity, was consistently and totally evil. Um, but he has the grace to, again, not eradicate all humanity, but sees still hope, some hope left and looks to Noah and his family um, for that and to obey his covenant, which does happen. Um, so now we can go ahead and look at Genesis 8. Um, Justin, do you want to read verses 1 through 5? Um, yep. And then Thomas, after that, do you want to read verses 13 through 14? And then I can read 20 through 22. All right. Sounds good. Genesis 8, 1 through 5. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped. And the rain from heaven strained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. Ararat. <laughs> and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were... All right, and then verses 13 through 14. All right. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. All right. And there, now verses 20 through 22. Then Noah, after all this, built an altar to the Lord, and there sacrificed as burnt offerings animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. 
And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they drink or imagine is meant towards evil from childhood. I will never destroy all living, never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Um, so that's, you know, in a nutshell, the story of Noah and the Ark. Um, it's an abbreviated version, but I do recommend you read Genesis 6 through 9 um, if you want to get the full version. I'm sure you've heard the story before in Sunday school. Um, but the two of the big takeaways I have from these verses is that we see the Lord follow through with his plan. Um, like, sort of like we saw with Saul, Samuel, the prophecies that Samuel told Saul, the Lord did follow through. Um, and it took a couple of decades for that to happen. Um, and the same thing here. It doesn't just take decades. It takes, well, many decades. You know, um, Jared C. Wilson from the Gospel Coalition ascertains that it probably took Noah 98 years or so to build the ark. And then in addition to that, seven days of waiting for the flood, seven days of waiting for the flood repeated, zero days of the flood, 150 days of the waters prevailing, 150 days of the waters receding, 40 days of waiting, then seven days of waiting. Then after the first dove, which he sends out, which we did not read here, um, but seven more days of waiting. And then after he the sending of a second dove, then two more months for the earth to dry. And really, that was the second takeaway I had here in that these verses that we read, there is a lot of talking about time and lots of many months going by, many days going by in these events. Um, and you know, Noah, he's a 601-year-old man as verses 13 and 14 mentioned, um, and he's having to wait all this time. So I certainly think he would have been tempted to doubt God, especially in the 98 years or so to build the ark and waiting for the flood. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> Just I mean, those little 98 years in there. <laughs> I mean, 100 years, I mean, he's 600 years old, so it is. I mean, 100 years now is like a person's lifetime if they're healthy. Um, and it's still a long time. It's, you know, a sixth of his life. But throughout all that, you know, you think he would have been tempted, as I mentioned. But he overcomes this and is obedient. Um, he really keeps the favor with God throughout these decades. He doesn't grow further away from God amid the time that he's waiting, uh, as Saul did. Um, but rather, he keeps the favor with the Lord, which I think, you know, is... Uh, an appealing example for us how we should follow um, we probably may not be waiting 98 years plus um, for things that <laughs> to happen in our lives you never know um, <laughs> you do never know i'm not gonna i mean i'm not gonna speak for god so <laughs> that could certainly happen um but yeah no one remains strong in his faith throughout all this waiting that's really the big takeaway i have through this story yeah, and it's the exact opposite of what we see with Saul. You know, Noah is 600 years old when the flood begins. He's waiting a long time. Like, um, and he's steadfast the whole time, and he's faithful, uh, and he's patient. And that's a big thing. And I actually, over the last few years, it's oh, yeah, one thing, one of my favorite things. Um, and I, I plan on writing a book about it. I've developed this theological um, theory, but, you know, concept. I call it the arc analogy, uh, and I'll allude to it quicker here. There's a yeah. book, there's going to be a movie, is um, but the, wow, the whole idea is that, like, 
you know, we are here and we are in place kind of to prepare for God's promises in our lives, no matter what that promise is. Ultimately, we have the promise that Jesus is going to come back for us uh, and God is going to establish, you know, he's, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom with us. Uh, and in the meantime, as Noah does, he has kind of promised this ultimate restoration, ultimate covenant, ultimate, uh, you know, almost recreation of the world. And he has to wait a long time for that. But in the meantime, his ark, he assembles everything. He gets everything in order. So, you know, our job then is to build our own arcs in waiting and in hoping and persevering and in patience for what is to come. And that's ultimately good. Um, that's just a brief overview of it. Uh, I have a, a mini outline for my book developed. So be, uh, be on the lookout for that in the coming years. <laughs> All right. Looking yeah. forward to it. But, you know, our job is to build our arcs in preparation for what's to come. And that's exactly what Noah does here. Uh, and exactly what Saul does not do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's obviously there's so much to unpack there. So obviously you can definitely put a book into that. Um, but even just like the foretaste of that, in essence, what you just said there is very special and very important um, and very applicable to these examples here, obviously with the arc. Um, so yeah, I think that really does sum up everything very well. And it sort of, you know, ties in what we can do in our lives, in our waiting, um, you know, and really with Noah here and the story of the ark, God promises that he's going to keep his covenant um, and that there's going to be restoration eventually. And then another covenant, you know, at the end, he says, never again will the flood waters destroy all life. Um, and so Noah really sticks to those covenants, sticks to waiting to the Lord. Um, you know, even amid the dangerous flood and, you know, the apocalyptic-esque reality of a giant flood coming and destroying every other human, um, that's one of the, I mean, probably one of the hardest things someone can live through is seeing every <laughs> other human destroyed. But yet, um, Noah having the, the faith to stick with it, stick with the Lord and trust in him, trust in his plan for restoration, even throughout these, the century plus that he had to wait this happened. He built his ark and remained committed to obeying the Lord. Yeah. Do you guys have any other thoughts on that? That was pretty well summed up. (laughs) Yeah. Good word. Yeah. All right. Well, just some final takeaways here. Um, Ultimately, is that God has a plan for restoration and we can definitely trust in it just as Noah trusted in it. Um, You know, we can look at these examples um, and we can see Saul who deviated from uh, his closeness with the Lord because he didn't trust in what the Lord had said would happen. But then we see Noah trust in it and the outcome is grand and you can really see God's love and beauty on display and how he restores humanity, how he keeps his faith in humanity. Um, And we can do that too, no matter what we're going through. Um, you know, God has a plan for it and it's going to work out, you know, in his time, um, for our good, whether we can see that or not, um, we can look to Noah as an example, um, of how to stay obedient to the Lord and trust in him through that all. Uh, and then secondly, ultimate restoration is realized through the cross. 
Um, I know we didn't really get into the New Testament here, but it's the same love that God has for humanity that we saw in Noah displayed through Jesus on the cross in that ultimately, no matter what we go through in our life, we will be restored eternally if we trust in the Lord. Uh, and that's, you know, the ultimate grand restoration. We really do not need anything more than that. And it's just a matter of grace, following on God's grace and trusting in that. It's a free gift to us. Let's accept it now while we can um, and not put it off like Saul did. Um, so those are my final takeaways. Do you guys have anything else you guys want to add? Yeah. Um, I think this is also just like a good, a good reminder to kind of assess where we are in our, in our own lives, you know, um, where, how we, how are we growing closer to God? Are we more like Saul and like chasing after being the God of our own lives? Or are we more like Noah building our ark for the promises that God has, has given us? Um, it's always, it's always good to kind of reassess and see where we're at because you know some periods of growth do not feel like you're close to god and sometimes that you'll you will uh, go away from him and and that that's no he's still there and you, you gotta know he's still there because you know because you, you have the promises that says that sometimes when we are we feel furthest away from God. That's when God is the closest to us. Um, we just don't feel him. But, you know, it's just a good reminder to seek God and no matter what's going on in our life and to, and to follow him. And we'll, we'll know everything's all right because Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the Father. Amen. Yeah, and I love both of you tying it back into, you know, Peter to Jesus coming back, that ultimate plan of restoration. And Thomas kind of tying that to where we are in our lives. You know, I think the question now is, you know, for us to look at and for anyone listening to look at, um, which way are you going to take this? Are you going to trust in the timing that God has ultimately for your life, but then also ultimately for eternity? And are you going to be like Noah? Are you going to build your ark in the meantime and focus on that, focus on God and have faith and perseverance and trust and patience? Are you going to be like Noah, be like David, be like Paul, who are all examples of that? Or are you going to be like Saul, um, you know, and be patient and uh, impulsive and act on your own desires and try to cover it up by acting for God, you know? So that's a choice we all have to make. Um, and it's just a matter of are you trusting in what God has planned or not? Yeah. Well said, you guys. Um, yeah, there are countless other, I mean, countless other examples of, of this to look at. You know, David, as you mentioned, Justin, is such a great example. And obviously he might be a better contrast to Saul because he's the next king of Israel. Um, so he very, very, is very tied into that. Um, and it's a great example to look at, you know, if you want to keep, reading you know there's a lot to unpack with samuel in samuel first and second samuel and with saul um that we did not unpack here and a lot to unpack with david so i, I point you guys to that if you want to read some more and then with noah we obviously sort of noah. just skim that too so there's so much more that could be had there definitely material for future episodes i'm sure um but i'm gonna go ahead and pray us out uh dear lord um we just thank you for your love god and 
um, in your plans for restoration that have materialized throughout the Bible, both with Noah and then with Jesus on the cross. Um, may we come to just know that and to love that and to trust in that God and trust in your timing. If it is perfect and it's better than anything that we could do on our own or any plans that we can come up with on our own, God, your timing is better than all that. So may we trust in that as we go forward. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 <laughs> all right. Well, listeners, thank you for making it through to the end of this episode. Um, I hope you learned a lot. I learned a lot through this. Um, namely, thanks to you guys, Justin and Thomas. So thanks to you guys. Um, and thanks to the listeners again. If you want to follow us on Instagram and you're not following us now, uh, that's at in the fire podcast, exactly how it sounds. And then DM us if you want, if you want to communicate through email, you can reach us at the number three in the fire at gmail.com. That is three in the fire, the number three at gmail.com. Um, yeah, thanks again. And we hope you guys have a wonderful week. Yes, we All do. Right. Yes, we do. <laughs> Adios. Right. Adios. This is in the fire signing off. <laughs>